everybody, welcome back to To The Point. We're all doing well on this Friday. Fun show upcoming today. We got college football best bets on a Friday. Best betting tips of the, the upcoming weekend. This is coming back. We did this with college football and the NFL last year when the NFL returns next week. We will add this to the rotation, so I'm stoked to get back into this. We'll talk about all the betting lines this weekend for the upcoming games. Enjoyed the college football last night. Utah, without their starting quarterback Cam Rising, defeated the Florida Gators in Utah 24-11. So a big win for, uh, for the Utes to start off the year. Minnesota edged out a win over Nebraska. They shouldn't have won the game. Two turnovers in the last five minutes for Nebraska. They lose 13 to 10. Brutal, brutal loss. Would have been a great way to start off their year on the road. But Matt Rule and the Cornhuskers throw the game away. We'll see what they can do next weekend against Colorado. Also, you got North Carolina State got a win. There's some uh, Wake Forest clutched, uh, crushed Elon. Arizona State opened up with a victory. So college football is here. We got games tonight. We got an interesting weekend. Today we're going to touch on UFC Paris. Some fun fights tomorrow afternoon. Major League Baseball waiver wire is alive and well. Players are going everywhere. Texas Rangers still struggling in some milestones. For Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, and Bryce Harper, who is quietly having one of the best months in recent memory. But we're going to open up with college football. I mentioned the games last night, but what do we got this weekend? It's week one. We're starting, and, and the biggest game at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon certainly is Colorado and TCU in Fort Worth. On Fox, TCU was in the national championship game last year. Second best team in the country. They beat Michigan, and now they return. Sonny Dykes is still their head coach. They're, they lost their offensive coordinator to Clemson. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost their top wide receiver in Quentin Johnson. They lost their running back in uh, Keandre Miller. So this team is coming back revamped. They had a good recruiting class, but it's a new team. It's week one. As we, if you watch any of the games last night, it's not the greatest football. There's mistakes. The offense takes time to gel to come together. And TCU is a new club. Colorado, they have 63 new players in their program that were not there last year. All new transfers brought in because they have a new head coach. If you didn't hear about it, you must have been living under a rock. It's Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders comes over from Jackson State to coach the Buffaloes. He brings his son with him. He brings one of the best prospects in college football with him, and Travis Hunter, who's going to be playing wide receiver and defensive back. So Colorado has talent, but after going 1-11 last year and 1-8, in the Pac-12, in their conference, anything is a positive for this group. Any kind of success, any sort of momentum. So I'm looking at Colorado, and I'm thinking there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of expectations. 
TCU, you're just in the national championship game. You don't think that's likely not going to happen again. People like their quarterbacks, scouts, people like the players that they have, but they're not going to be as good a team. So week one is weird. If you're looking last night, Nebraska covered against Minnesota. Who could have seen that coming? UConn covered against North Carolina State. It's early. There will be blowouts, but I also think early on in the season is a good time to take teams to cover the point spread. So currently Colorado, I'm looking at FanDuel Sportsbook, they are a 20.5 point dog at TCU tomorrow. TCU will likely win the game. Matt Wright talked about yesterday in the program that he might want to take Colorado outright. I'm not as bullish on that opinion, but what I like to do on in betting is I like to take big point spreads, and college football is the best sport to bet on, even better than the NFL, because of the point spreads, and if you're betting underdogs, you can make money. So if you're looking at this, 20.5 points, Yes, Colorado's on the road. Yes, there's a lot of hype. Yes, it's on Fox. But I'm going to take the 20 and a half. I'm going to bank on Deion Sanders having his team ready to play. I'm going to bank on his son, the quarterback, who is a good quarterback, playing pretty well. Travis Hunter making plays on both sides of the ball. This team's not going to go... 11 and you know 11 and 1 or have a fantastic season at Colorado but I don't think TCU is that is going to be a ranked team at the end of the year Colorado might lose this week I think they can beat I think they can beat Nebraska in week 2 but I'm I'm taking I'm taking the Buffaloes on the road in week 1 to Cover the spread. Take TCU plus 20 and a half. On certain books, you can get Colorado at a bigger number. I like FanDuel. Again, Canada, BetMGM, whatever you're using, it's going to be in the 20 and a half to a 22 point spread. Give me the Buffaloes plus the points. Love it. Let's lock it in, Colorado. Michigan opens their season against East Carolina. Michigan is without Jim Harbaugh, their head coach, for the first three games because of recruiting violations during COVID. These recruiting violations that he was penalized for are beyond stupid, and it's not as if he was handing people money. It's not one of those situations. It's that he met with people during COVID. He went out for... He went out for dinner and he bought them lunch. Bought somebody lunch and he's being penalized three games for it. Should he be? No. I guess going out for lunch during the middle of a pandemic is a crime now. Thought that I was only here in Canada with Trudeau, but I guess I guess the NCAA is uh <laughs> is leaning Democrat, so I guess we're happy to know that. I think we already knew that. If you look at the way they operate. Their business, but that's a whole other story for another day. 
But Michigan, to me, has a tougher schedule. But they are as good or better than the Georgia Bulldogs, the two-time reigning national champions. Michigan is bringing back four of their five starting offensive linemen. They're bringing back their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy. They're bringing back their starting two tailbacks, and they're bringing back the leader of their defense in Mike Sandstrill. They, this is Jim Harbaugh's best team. The best team he's ever recruited since he's come back. Stanford with Andrew Luck, this is his best college team. This is the best chance he has to win a national championship. And he's been in the playoff. He was in the playoff last year, and they lost to TCU in a game that they should have won. But when you have Blake Corum, a senior who might be the best back in the country, and you have Donovan Edwards behind him who's great, Colston Loveland at tight end, uh, Roman Wilson, another senior who's returning, who's really good in the receiving core. How about this? Left tackle, senior. Left guard, senior. Right guard, senior. Right tackle, senior. And their and their uh, center is a graduate transfer who's also a senior. They are veteran out the wazoo. This team is built to win. That's more of an outlook on their season. Looking at East Carolina, East Carolina stinks. It's a 35 and a half point spread. I don't trust East Carolina. I would take Michigan plus a, my, a, with the points. I don't like betting favorites. If you do, take Michigan and the minus 35 and a half. Crazy. But yes, you should do it. This game is so interesting to me. Utah State and Iowa. Matt Wright and I talked yet talked about this yesterday. Iowa has this hurt has this head coach named Kirk Ferentz. Interesting guy. He is not a great coach. But the thing is, when you when you're already not a great coach, and then you hire your kid to be the offensive coordinator, you know it's some really messed up shit happening in, happening in Iowa. So now this season, because they were so putrid last year, the son, who's the offensive coordinator, has to average 25 points a game, or he will be fired at the end of the year. Even if they have a perfect season, he will be let go. That's the rules on his contract this year. Now, they've built a better team. They've actually recruited offensive players. They brought in Cade, Nacnam- uh, Cade McNamara, who was a former quarterback at Michigan, who could have been the starter last year, but J.J. McCarthy beat him out for the job after he was injured in Week 2. So Iowa is a huge favorite. But I remember that the Ferences are coaching, and it's Iowa. And I just go, I don't trust this. They're they're a ranked team. They're predicted to have a really good season. K-12 
Cade McNamara, Caleb Johnson at running back, Luke Lachey. And they got Utah State. Utah State is not exactly a powerhouse. This is a good first week for Iowa, but they are 25-point favorites. Isn't that apropos? They're a 25-point favorite. Their offense has to average 25 points per game. I find that funny. And good work by FanDuel and their betting line. So, is Iowa going to win this game? Yes. Are they going to win by 25? I do not believe so. And I, I need to be proven wrong about the Iowa Hawkeyes before I bet on them. Before I tell any of you, yes, I was a safe bet to take with the lay down the points. Take them as bet Iowa as a favorite. That's not happening in a week one. No way. No how. This game scares me a bit. But if I'm gambling on it, I'm taking Utah State plus 25 because Iowa has been allergic to offense for nearly a decade. Utah State. Virginia at Tennessee. Virginia loses Brennan Armstrong. He's now at NC State. He was their all-time leading passer, all-time leading rusher in school history. Tennessee loses Hendon Hooker to the NFL. Joe Milton takes over. He might have a bigger arm than Hendon Hooker. He jumps into that offense that was so successful last year. Jalen Hyatt is gone from Tennessee. They lose a couple offensive linemen. But they won their bowl game against Clemson. Joe Milton played very well in that game. Virginia is no powerhouse. Tennessee's a 27.5 point favorite. I'm going with Tennessee. The Volunteers, one of the best teams in the SEC last year. I like their coach. I like the quarterback. I think he's in a good situation. The offense fits him. He'll throw for a number of yards. They'll have a big day. Tennessee, minus 27.5. The Ohio State. Kyle McCord is the new quarterback for Ohio State. They have Trayvon Henderson back at running back. Ryan Day is still the head coach. Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the second best player in college football behind one Caleb Williams. Not to mention Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kyle McCord played high school football together. So they know each other. They have that connection. I think Ohio State's a good team, as they always are. The receivers are good. They also have uh, Ubeka with Harrison Jr. So they got a one-two punch. they got a better running back room. They're dangerous. They're just kind of going underneath the radar because Michigan is better than them. Michigan has beaten Ohio State the last two years, and they've been – Punched in the mouth a few times, and they, they need to answer back this season in the Big Ten. They open up with a Big Ten matchup of Indiana. Indiana is getting 30 points, which tells you the state of Indiana football, which is sad to see, honestly. Because at one point, 
They had a quarterback by the name of Michael Penix Jr., who's playing at Washington, who's my sleeper to win the Heisman Trophy. But they don't have any more, and they're in a tailspin, and they're still in the Big Ten, but the Big Ten's expanding, and nobody cares about Indiana. Everything I just said, Ohio State, minus 30. I'm not betting on that game, however. Boise State at Washington. Washington, my Washington team. Just mentioned Michael Penix Jr. I just mentioned their offense of last year. To me, he's one of the best quarterbacks in college. He's right there behind Caleb Williams in that mix with Bo Nix and Kyle McCord and these other names that will pop up. J.J. McCarthy. But Washington minus 14, and they're only a 14.5-point favorite, so Boise, I'm curious to watch this game because I thought the number would be bigger. But if, I, if you can get Washington two touchdowns, two, touched only, two touchdowns only as a favorite, I like that. They're at home. Not an easy place to play. Place is going to be jacked up. People are going to be excited. Penix is a stud. 4.30, he's going to be on national TV. If you get a chance, watch him sling it because he can. Washington, minus 14.5. Middle Tennessee versus Alabama. This is a Nick Saban special. Alabama loves to schedule an opponent in week one, week two, that aren't very good. Michigan's doing it this year. Middle Tennessee, they did have, they pulled off the upset, one of the upsets of the season last year where they defeated the University of Miami. But the University of Miami and Alabama are two very different things. But it's a weird feel in the Alabama program. They haven't named a starting quarterback yet. Nick Saban's getting testy with the media because he's saying he will not release a depth chart. Won't do it. Says it tells the media, oh, this is who you expect to play every week. And really, I wonder if he's just looking around going, I don't like any of my options. Tyler Buckner, who played quarterback at Notre Dame last year, not very well, but he played there. He's in the mix to be the starting quarterback. He had three touchdowns, five interceptions in limited duty. We also have Jalen Milrow, who played in spot duty behind Bryce Young last year. He's a sophomore. And there's also Ty Simpson, a freshman, who's impressed, but I don't see Alabama going with a freshman. Now they have Jace McClellan at running back, who is experienced. C.J. Dupree is their new tight end, transferring over from Maryland. Still have Jermaine Burton, Ja'Cory Brooks, Isaiah Bond. These guys are all have all been at Alabama. It's the same receiving core that was not all that great last year. That disappointed, and Bryce Young had to overcome obstacles in games because his team wasn't all that good. Now, 
Caleb Downs is a freshman that they like a lot. Kool-Aid. Yeah, that's his name. Kool-Aid McKinstry. Love it. He's returning. Malachi Moore. So they have players on defense that have been on this team. But it's a weird vibe in Alabama. And I don't think the team is all that good. I talked about this yesterday. And it's not a great bet to go against Nick Saban. And I'm not going to bet against Nick Saban this week. But I am in Alabama when it comes to overall perspective in college football this year. I don't think they'll be in the Final Four. I don't think they'll win their side of the division in the SEC. I don't think they'll play in the SEC championship game. And I don't know if they finish inside the top eight. How about that? I think it's that kind of season for the Crimson Tide. But you get Middle Tennessee. And Alabama's a 40-point favorite. It's a big number. Middle Tennessee beat University of Miami last year. I think Alabama in this game is going to play maybe all three of their quarterbacks because Nick Saban not, is not going to want to tip his hand before they play Texas next weekend. He's going to play at Coy and just make everybody aloof a little bit. But let's start the chaos early. 40 is a huge number. I don't know who's the starting quarterback. I don't know how many snaps they're going to get. They will score points. I'm going with Middle Tennessee plus 40. You're getting 40 points. Middle Tennessee will score some. Maybe they'll lose by 38. But as long as they don't lose by 41, we're safe, right? Middle Tennessee plus 40. Alabama gets Texas next weekend. That's when the fun starts for them. West Virginia at Penn State. Big Ten now on NBC, new TV deal for the Big Ten. So Penn State will play Saturday night, which is fun. Sean Clifford, gone from Penn State. Their quarterback for the last number of years, he won the backup job with the Green Bay Packers. Drew Aller, sophomore, is the new quarterback at Penn State. They're excited about him. Nick Singleton, another young sophomore. They also have Catron uh, Allen. They have a two-headed monster at running back, a more dynamic quarterback. Keandre Smith-Lambert at wide receiver. He's I like him. Theo Johnson, a new tight end because theirs departed for the NFL. This team is really good. They're ranked inside the top 10 to start the year. I think they're, they're a threat to Michigan and Ohio State this year. They haven't been able to beat them in the big games. But Penn State last year had two losses. The only two losses were to Michigan and Ohio State. So that's their bar now. They need to get over that to see if they can overcome it to get to that next level. But James Franklin has built a really, really good program at Penn State. Penn State is a 20.5-point favorite at home against West Virginia. To me, Penn State has one of the best environments in college football. It's an underrated environment. When they have the whiteout game, it's fantastic. It's loud. 
Penn State minus 20 and a half, one of the best teams this year. Coastal Carolina at UCLA. Fun. Coastal Carolina has been a team that you just you follow. You know who they are. They they just you look at them and go, Coastal Carolina. A couple years ago, they only lost a few games. They had a one one loss season. They still have Grayson McCall at quarterback. One of the bigger names that you thought, okay, this guy's going to transfer. Nope, he's a senior. He's still there. Reese White at running back is returning. Another senior. It's a it's an older team. It's a team that has experience. UCLA, they are bringing bringing back a new team, quite frankly. My guy, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, is in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. Zach Charbonnet is in the NFL with the Seattle Seahawks. Dante Moore is the new quarterback for UCLA. Went to Martin Luther King Jr. High School in Detroit. But he's a freshman, hasn't played any snaps yet, so have to wait and see. They do get John Michael Sturdivant over from Cal. He transfers over, so he should be a help to this club. They also get Cam Brown. It's a new team at UCLA, and they're a 14.5-point favorite at home. Just talked about Penn State. UCLA is one of the worst environments in college football because nobody goes to the games. I don't think Coastal Carolina is a great team, but if Grayson McCall's playing and you have that team there, I like Coastal Carolina to keep this game close. Give me Coastal Carolina plus 14 and a half. Feature game of Saturday night, North Carolina, South Carolina. This, this point spread tells you what the bookmakers think about North Carolina. And really listening to experts, listening to a lot of podcasts, doing my own research. North Carolina is a team that has struggled to recruit elite talent since about two years ago when Sam Howell was there with a lackluster wide receiving core. But they can recruit quarterbacks. They get Sam Howell. He's now a starting quarterback in the NFL. And we hear about Caleb Williams. And you hear about uh, you hear about Michael Penix, as I just talked about. But there's this other quarterback in North Carolina who might be the second pick in the draft. He's that highly looked at. It's Drake May. Drake May returns, and you look around and go, uh, we love Drake May. We don't love the rest of the team. Devontae Walker came over from NC Central. Gavin Blackwell, at wide receiver. He's uh, playing his first year of college football. 
Nate McCollum transferred over from Georgia Tech. So it's a makeshift group with Drake May. Their defense has struggled for many, many years, as Ryder accurately pointed out yesterday. So it's going to be Drake May putting up yards if this team's going to win. But they play South Carolina. Spencer Rattler, who turned around this program, quite frankly, last year. South Carolina was a doormat. He comes over from Oklahoma after being a Heisman, the Heisman favorite the year before. Plays well at South Carolina. They get a couple big wins in conference. And they got nine wins last year. South Carolina is a two-and-a-half-point underdog. And I don't know where to go with this. Because I did say North Carolina yesterday was going to win the ACC. I regretted it right away because Clemson is likely going to win it. It's not going to be Florida State. But I don't think it's going to be North Carolina either after looking at this roster and looking at what Drake May is going to have to overcome. But in this first game, you get two fun quarterbacks who have a lot to prove, who want to show that they can be great at the next level. Drake May, people are confident about. Spencer Rattler is still trying to prove that he could make it to the NFL. Two and a half is not a big point spread. I think this is going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a really fun game. But I'll take North Carolina minus two and a half. You know, actually scratch that. Give me South Carolina plus two and a half. Maybe North Carolina wins by a field goal. That's what I'm predicting. And guess what? If that happens, if North Carolina wins by a field goal, wouldn't be a cover. I'm overthinking myself. Give me North Carolina. No, I was right the first time. I'm going through this. Give me North Carolina minus two and a half. When you like the when you like the field goal bet, you have to bet the underdog, which I you have to bet the the underdog to win. But I'm gonna give me North Carolina minus two and a half. What else we got? Saturday, Northwestern Northwestern at Rutgers. Nobody will watch this game Sunday afternoon. I probably will, but. That says more about me than it does about anybody else. Rutgers, the six and a half point favorite. Northwestern has not won a game inside the United States since 2021. Yes, it's been that long. They won one game last year. It was in Dublin in week one. They have since fired their head coach because of the scandal involving hazing and that program has been under fire. They fired their baseball coach. So they're trying to revitalize their image. They get Rutgers week one. New coach, new program. It's not a great program at Northwestern, but Rutgers is not a great program either. Give me Northwestern plus six and a half. Oregon State versus San Jose State. San Jose State can put up points. They did it against USC in week zero. Oregon State is welcoming in DJ Ugalale from Clemson, transferring over. He had his ups and downs at Clemson, but he's coming into a system where I don't think he's going to have to be that dynamic of a quarterback. 
I think you'll be asked to do less. And give me Oregon State, minus 16 and a half. And the feature game of the weekend, Sunday night in Orlando, number five LSU against number eight FSU. Last season, Florida State beat LSU in week one on a walk-off. It was a fantastic game. They, they rematch again this year. LSU has Brian Kelly, second-year coach. Jaden Daniels is returning at quarterback. They lose Kayshawn Boudet, but they also keep a number of players. And you're just, they're welcoming in. It's a season where Brian Kelly has, has been there. He knows what he's walking into. So you look at this. Brian Tom, uh, Thomas Jr., Malik Neighbors, the junior, is one of the highly touted wide receivers coming into this season. He's projected to be great. You have Mason Taylor, the sophomore, the son of NFL Hall of, Fame, uh, Hall of Famer Jason Taylor who looked good last year. So this team, this team is good. It's talented. And Brian Kelly is a good coach. On the other side, you have Florida State, who I think are being a bit overrated. I like their team. I think they're extremely fun. Jordan Travis, senior, is... So dynamic, can make things happen with his legs and with his arm. Johnny Wilson, another receiver who's highly touted coming into this year. He's massive, can make all the plays. Trey Benson, a good running back for Florida State. So both these teams have high expectations. Both these teams have tough schedules. To neutral site, LSU is a two and a half point favorite. Last season, Florida beat Utah in week one. This season, Utah beats Florida in week one. I think the same thing happens. FSU won last year. I'm going with LSU this year. They're a two and a half point favorite. I believe they win by at least three points. A great start to the season for Brian Kelly and the Tigers. Tough game. Will be a battle for sure. But LSU will prevail. So that's what I see happening. That's week one of college football in a nutshell. We also got Duke and Clemson on Monday night, but we'll talk about that on Monday. We'll recap the weekend. We'll make a pick for that game. So we'll discuss that on Monday. But that's... It's it's fun. There isn't high-profile games, so to speak. But I think the Colorado game has so much intrigue for me. The Boise State-Washington is fun. North Carolina-South Carolina is fun. Coastal-UCLA. And, of course, the Sunday Night Headliner is the game of the weekend. So college football is back in a big way. We got games tonight. 
Miami of Ohio heads to Miami to play the Hurricanes. Miami, uh, the Hurricanes are a 20.5-point favorite. Central Michigan's at Michigan State. Louisville, no more Malik Cunningham. He's on the Patriots practice squad, so that era is over. They welcome in Georgia Tech. Two teams at new quarterbacks. Missouri State is visiting Kansas. And then the midnight game, Stanford at the Rainbow Warriors in Hawaii. And if you're up late at night and you're stuck, you're betting, you're gambling, and you're losing money, and you're in a bad situation, and you're looking around and you're distraught and you're upset because you're losing money and your, your day didn't go well with college football, the saving grace for you is Hawaii. It's Hawaii every time. Because you can lay a bet at midnight. You could watch the first quarter and go to bed. And more often than not, they will make you happy the next morning. Because they might not win the game. Because they didn't last week when they played Vandy. But you know what they did when they played Vandy? They covered. They covered the spread. And sometimes that's all you need to put a smile on your face on a Saturday or a Sunday morning. It sounds sickening. It sounds kind of sad, which it is. But that sometimes is the way it goes. That number's been bet down. Miami, Ohio is now only a 16.5-point dog to the to the Hurricanes. Oof, woof. Central Michigan, Stanford's a three-point favorite at Hawaii tonight. Just keep that in mind. So this weekend, you got Ball State at Kentucky. Arkansas State at Oklahoma, Fresno State at Purdue. It's interesting. Akron at Temple, Buffalo at Wisconsin, UMass at Auburn. So we got lots of games, lots happening. I can't wait for it all. We'll talk about it on Monday, but that's the best bets of the weekend for college football. Let's pivot right into another sport where you can get some gambling action this weekend, and that's the UFC. UFC was in Singapore last weekend. We saw the Korean Zombie retire. We saw Max Holloway get a huge win and showed out Hawaii. But now the UFC is off to Paris, Paris, where they had a phenomenal event last year featuring a heavyweight bout between Cyril Gan and Tai Tuivasa. Gone knocking out Tai Bam Bam Tuivasa in the second round in one of the knockouts of the year, one of the fights of the year, really. It was phenomenal. Cyril Gone then got an opportunity for the heavyweight title in March against John Jones and came out with one of the worst performances of the year. A no-show. He looked completely hoodwinked, completely bamboozled, and was looked scared in that fight. And John Jones became the heavyweight champion of the world. So now Cyril Gon comes back to the drawing board, comes back to France in his home home country where he's loved, and he welcomes in the polar bear, Sergei Spivak. And this is a fascinating matchup for me. Because Spivak has won four fights in a row. He's beaten Derek Lewis. 
in his most recent fight, Sergey Spivak has looked fantastic. He can hit you with big punches, certainly. But the thing he does best is wrestle you. He will take you to the ground. He submitted Derek Lewis in February. He beat Augusto Sakai. He has beaten Greg Hardy. He lost to Tom Aspinall, but again, Tom Aspinall is pretty damn good. But this is certainly Spivak's biggest competition of his career. He's a plus 145 underdog. Normally, you look at this and say Surreal Gone would be a heavier favorite. But my big thing coming into this is, has Surreal Gone worked on his takedown defense? Has Surreal Gone focused on this during training and has he prepared himself for a fight that can get to the ground? Because against John Jones, when he was taken to the canvas, he was not prepared for battle. He was not prepared to fight with John Jones, to hand fight, and to keep himself from being in bad situations. And Surreal, he weighed in this morning, he's 250 pounds, he looks ripped. And Sergey was 256, and these guys are both really in shape guys for the heavyweight division. I think Surreal is a better striker. I think that Spivak is a better grappler, a better wrestler. We saw that Aljamain Sterling lost to a better puncher in in uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley a few weeks ago. I think Surreal Gone has all the tools to be a champion, but he's gotten two opportunities already, and he lost to Francis Ngannou on a torn ACL, and he lost to John Jones coming off a three-year layoff in March. He's beaten Tuivasa. He's beaten guys that are in his realm that you, he can fight to his skill set. Beat Tai Tuivasa. He beat Derek Lewis. He beat Alexander Volkov. Beat Junior Dos Santos. Tanner Boser. Dante Mays. So he's he's a, he's a very good fighter. Don't get me wrong. He's eleven and two. He came to fighting late. It's not what he started doing. But you have a 16 and three heavyweight against an 11 and two heavyweight. Both guys are extremely talented. He seems measured. He seems happy. Seems more composed for this fight. If Spivak can win this fight, it's a big deal because it throws him in the conversation with the next ones to get an opportunity. It's real gone wins. He's already said, I'm in no rush to get another title opportunity. I'll take my time. I just want to get better and better. I think that's a smart answer. He needs to be measured. He, he knows that the UFC is not putting him in a title fight anytime soon. It'll be Tom Aspinall. It'll be the guys at the top of the heavyweight division. Sergey Pavlovich, the biggest puncher in the heavyweight division, maybe the biggest puncher in the UFC, is waiting. Aspinall is waiting. But I think if Spivak can win this fight, he is thrown into the mix. Because of his skill set, because you beat Cyril Gaon. Is it, if Spivak's currently ranked 7th, if he wins this fight, he will be number 2 in the rankings. 
He will jump Stipe Miocic and he'll jump Tom Aspinall. But what I think will be interesting is you have Pavlovich, who's, who's announced this week he will be the backup fighter for Jones and Miocic. And he was the backup fighter for Jones and Cyril. So it's two times now he's going to be paid to show up and be on weight and be ready to fight if one of them cannot. But if Spivak wins, and then you have Jailton Almeida beat Curtis Blades in a couple months in Sao Paulo, you will have Pavlovich, Aspinall, Sergey, and Jelton, all very different skill sets, all very different fighters that have a legitimate quest or a legitimate thought to be champion. And you usually don't see this in the heavyweight division. It's usually not this interesting. It's fighters that you don't care about. You always hear uh, Chael Sonnen always says this, the heavyweight division is the least talented division in the UFC. And I agree with him. But Aspinall is crazy talented. I look at Pavlovich. Okay, he might only have one way to win, but his way to win is so damn effective because he knocks your head off because he's such a strong puncher. Jelton Almeida is as skilled as anybody in any division. The way he wins fights, the, the way he uses his jujitsu to get himself in situations to find a submission, the, the way he took down Jorizinho Rosenstrike in his last fight, how slick he was in doing that, so impressive. So this heavyweight division, and plus, maybe Cyril Gaon will win this weekend. He very well could. He's the favorite going in. I'm not picking him to win the fight, however. I'm taking the polar bear. Spivak, who's won four fights in a row. This is his moment. He's walking in enemy territory. He will be booed on the walkout. But I think he's ready for it. I think he's a skilled guy. I think he's decent on his feet. He's great on the ground. If he can get Cyril to the ground, Cyril is in trouble. Because of his strength, because of the ways he can hurt his opponents. He submitted Derek Lewis in the first round. He knocked out Augusta Sakai. He knocked out Greg Hardy. So he has more ways to beat people than just, okay, I have to get to the ground. But I think that's his best bet in winning this fight is get Get Cyril to, to, the, to the turf and get him in a rear naked choke. And will he be able to defend it? Will he be able to fight with your strength? Cyril will show early in this fight if he's improved. If he can stop a takedown. If, if you see Spivak shoot and Cyril has the strength, has the ability to fight him off, he's dialed in, he's ready for this opportunity, being at home, in the moment, Big deal for both guys. And we'll see what comes of it this Saturday in Paris. Co-main event is also a big deal. Manon Ferro against Rose Nama Yunus. Thug Rose, former two-time champion. She has not fought since November of 2022. And that loss to Carla Esparza, which was the most boring fight in MMA history, I would argue. That fight was so terrible. 
Now, Rose is crazy because she loses to Carla Esparza in that manner. She beat Zhang Wei Li twice, who is phenomenal. She's beaten Jessica Andrash. She has beaten uh, Joanna and Jacek twice. So she's had a, a weird career. She's a great striker when she wants to be, but you hear her in interviews. She even admitted this. Sometimes she gets into the cage and she doesn't want to hurt people. She doesn't want to cause violence, and that makes her a little fearful of going in there. And that's how she took on the Carla Esparza fight. Now, Manon Faro is also a French fighter. She's 10-1 and in the UFC. Her last fight was in her last fight was in 2022 as well against Caitlin Chuigan. Defeated her. She's defeated Jennifer Maya. Jessica I. She has not lost in a long time. Has not lost in the UFC. This fight is interesting because Aaron Blanchfield beat Tyla Santos last weekend and she wants to fight for the title next. Manon Faro came out and said, you know what, I don't think it was all that impressive. If I win this fight against Rose, I fully expect to, to be next for the belt. So now they have beef, and they're fighting with each other on Twitter. And I, don't know, I don't know what to make of this. What Rose are we going to get? She's coming off her worst performance of her career, just like Surreal Gone. How do you react from your worst performance? How do you come back from that? Rose is moving up to a new weight class. New opportunity, new weight class. Is she going to be in the mood to, to commit violence? It's all unknown. We don't know. Is it, what's, what, what's she going to be like when she gets in the octagon? And Manoa's a good fighter. She's good on all facets. She's knocked women out. She submits them. She's, her ground game is very strong. It's not something that Rose is particularly great at. So another fun matchup. Looking at this, I think Aaron Blanchfield is going to get the winner of Shevchenko and Grasso in a couple weeks. But does Manon Faro deserve it? Sure. She's ranked higher than Aaron Blanchfield. She hasn't lost in the UFC. Everybody they put in front of her, she's beaten. And she gets a former champion here, and she can say, well, I beat a former champion. Might have been another weight class, but I've beaten a champion in the UFC. Aaron Blanchfield would not be able to uh, Well, Aaron Blanchfield did beat Jessica Andrade, so I guess they both have that plan. Rose is at plus 155. She is the underdog coming into this fighting in Paris against a French woman. Coming off her worst performance in a new weight class. I think if Rose loses, she retires. She's only 31, but the way she sounded, it's, I'm going to win this fight and move up and be a champion again. Or this could be it. She sounded at, at peace with that decision. I 
I just think Manel is too good in too many fronts. I think Rose wins this fight if she knocks her out. Otherwise, either if it goes to decision or if it gets on the ground, I think Manel Faro is going to win the fight, and that's how I think it goes. I'm going to take Faro to win and improve to 11-1 and one as a pro. You also have Benoit Saint-Denis and Thiago Moises. Saint-Denis just fought a couple weeks ago. He's crafty. He's 11-1. and one. He's only getting better. He defeated Ishmael Bonfim in, in July. Bonfim's really good. Saint-Denis made it look pretty easy. He also, uh, in 2022, he beat Gabriel Miranda via knockout. He submitted Nicholas Stolze. So he's got his last three fights have been wins by finish. I think he finishes Thiago Moises tomorrow afternoon. I think he improves to 12-1, and and he's a new threat in the lightweight division. He's also another guy fighting at home. Volkan Ozdemir against Bogdan Guskov. Interesting fight because Ozdemir has been in the UFC a long time. Light heavyweight. He was at one point a really top prospect. He fought Daniel Cormier for the title in 2018, it must have been. Yeah, 2018. He then, and at that point, he had hardly lost. Then he went on to lose to Anthony Smith. He lost to Dominic Reyes. So he's, he's been back and forth. He lost to Yuri Prohaska in 2020. Lost to Magomed Ankalaev in 2021. 2022, he beat Paul Craig, then lost to Nikita Krylov. So this is his first fight of 2023. He's good on his feet. Not great on his feet, I would, I would argue. He's got some skill sets. Guskov is a new signing. He gets his opportunity to come in and fight Ozdemir. He is 30. He's 14-2. and two. He last fought in March. Won the fight in 25 seconds via knockout. And he's won his last three fights. Fighting in Russia. Fighting in other... Uh, other realms. Guskov has never fought in the UFC, so I've never seen him fight. I've seen Ozdemir fight. Even with not seeing a guy, I'm going with I'm going with Guskov tomorrow to pull off the upset. He is the betting underdog, plus 155. Uh, you have Yanis, Yemery, William Gomez. That should be fu- uh, that should be fun. Two guys with three combined losses. The biggest fight added is Taylor Lapulus, who won his UFC debut, but that was in September of 2016. We haven't seen him since. Has bounced around. He's back in the Bantamweight division. If you look at his at his bio. He had that opportunity in 2016, then left, went and fought in Germany for a while, Russian cage fighting, fought in TKO, last fought in April of 2022, so he's been gone a minute. He gets his opportunity, he's fighting Kalon Luren, who's an, an Irish fighter, 
who is a current champion in Cage Warriors. He last fought in May, won, a, won in the second round via TKO. He's won, he hasn't lost as a pro. So he comes in, champion in Cage Warriors, to the UFC, Bantamweight division. He's cocky. He's confident. Wayne's this morning. He's flipping off the crowd. He's got some Ian Gary, Conor McGregor, Irish in him. I'm excited to see him fight. See what this guy's like because he's got a lot of swag. He's got a lot of personality. I think he's got a lot of potential to be a star in the UFC because that's what they want. But he took this fight short notice. So good on him for being available. And that is the featured prelim tomorrow afternoon. But UFC Paris, you get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 fights tomorrow. So should be fun. Uh, free Bashrat, Clayson Rodriguez at Bantamweight. Two guys that are pretty talented looking to move up the ranks. So we got this, UFC Paris, and we got the pay-per-view in Australia next weekend, Strickland, Adesanya. That's building up to be a, a personal affair between those two. But that's UFC Paris. That is on tomorrow afternoon as well. So lots of fun things to watch tomorrow afternoon. Let's go to the U.S. Open. I got to say, the Novak Djokovic section, which is playing today, is getting easier and easier for him to get to the final. How about this? Svano Sissipas upset by 128th ranked Dominic Stricker. Kasper Rudd upset by the qualifier Zhang in a five set thriller as well on Wednesday night. So the five and four seeds are both out. And you're looking around going, well, who's going to compete with Novak Djokovic? Well, that's my question too. I don't know who it's going to be. His draw today, Tommy Paul still active, who's having a great season, but do you trust him to be a big challenge? Not really. But you have Ben Shelton, Karatsev, unranked. Zhang Hijigata, not ranked. Stricker, Benjamin Bonzi, not ranked. Gojo Vesely, not ranked. Those are four mat matches today between guys who are not ranked. Djokovic has Laszlo Jair. They're playing tonight on Arthur Ashe. They're both from Serbia. So countrymen playing each other. Taylor Fritz is in the section, who's looked very good so far. Francis TFO. So there are four American men in this section with Ben Shelton and Tommy Paul, who's already up a set and a break on uh, Alex Dadovich Fakina this afternoon. They're currently playing on Arthur Ashe. But the Djokovic section, a lot of upsets, a lot of guys. Good for these guys having, the ups having these upsets, having breakthrough tournaments, going to make a whole lot of money, have their best results of their career. But honestly, the best chance I give anybody is Taylor Fritz. And they would meet in the quarterfinal. 
The draw looks really good for TFO, who made a semifinal last year, to get back there again. He gets Man, uh, Adrian Manorino this afternoon. The He's a veteran from France, but not exactly a guy that's going to challenge anybody. And when it comes to, to winning a major or going deep. So that's my big takeaway there. Djokovic looks in fine form. I predicted he'd win the tournament before it started. But I even look at it now and go, I'm even more convinced. Because I don't see a, a roadblock. I don't think he loses a set tonight. I, I just look around and go, okay. Like I, I think Benjamin Bonzi, who's playing Stricker this afternoon. Bonzi from France is really good. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be ranked this time next year. He's a he's young, he's fast, he's smooth. He can play. Can he beat Djokovic at this point? No. Ben Shelton, fun player to watch, a lot of personality. Is he fun? Yes. Can he beat Djokovic? No. Even Tiafo, who's tenth in the rankings, and you could argue him or Fritz, who gives the Americans the best chance to go deep. I would argue Fritz, Fritz or Tiafo. I don't think either guy can beat Djokovic at this point because they're not there yet. And it's a lot of pressure to do it in New York and break the curse. So the today's play in the men's draw, the Djokovic section, if there's a lot of names you haven't heard of, I just told you why. Currently ongoing, you have Kirilina Mukova, who's having a fantastic season, finalist in Cincinnati finalist at the French Open. She's up a set, two breaks on Taylor Townsend of the United States, won the first set in a tie break, has been cruising ever since. Aiga Schweintek is on court this afternoon. She is another unranked opponent. A great story, Carolina, Caroline Wozniacki still playing in the third round at a major after having two kids, being gone from the game for three years. She gets American Jen Brady. They're up next on Ash after Tommy Paul. That should be a fun match. Jen Brady's a tough opponent. But again, Wozniacki's gotten this far, so we'll see what happens there. Tonight you have Elise Mertens, Coco Goff, and then Rabakina Kristea. And on the men's draw, you get Fritz and then Djokovic on center courts. That's fun. Now, it was a sad day yesterday. John Isner... Won the first two sets. He then loses the next three to Michael Moa. And he's retired. Emotional scene. Clearly still loves the game. I think the body's breaking down on him a little bit. He has, you know, four beautiful kids, a wife that was there watching him. Never won a major. Never will be remembered as an all-time great player. But he'll be remembered for having the longest match in Wimbledon history for having the longest tie break ever. And I, in my opinion, the, the best serve in tennis history. Nobody could return it. The power he got on it, the amount of aces he hit every year, in my opinion, the best serve in the history of the game. So good on Big John. Jack Sock, another American who won a doubles title way back when with Vashik Pospisil at Wimbledon. He also retired as he lost in mixed doubles last night with Coco Goff. So they, he also, two American men, go yesterday. But is Carl, is Carl Zucker as fun or what? He, he played last night, and 
he wins in straight sets, but every match he's in is just it's phenomenal theater. He hits shots that he shouldn't be able to. Every one of his matches is, even if it's not competitive, it seems more competitive just because I think he makes it fun. But his side of the draw, there remain some landmines. Daniel Medvedev's look good. So far, did drop a set last night, but he looked strong. Rublev got by Gil Mafis, so he's at eight seats still there. You have Zverev playing Dimitrov tomorrow afternoon, likely. Maybe they'll put that prime time, but that's a fun matchup. Alex Dimonor, who made the final in Canada, is playing extremely well. He's going under the radar for me. He's the 13th seed. He's he's a guy that could do some damage. Yannick Sinner, who's looked phenomenal in his first two matches. He gets Stan Wawrinka tomorrow. Another fun matchup. Maybe that one's under the lights. Carlos gets Dan Evans of Great Britain. And Michael Moe and Jack Draper, they both upset. Moe beat Isner and Draper beat Hubert Hercaz, the two of the, two of the guys with the biggest serves in the tournament, both out. But certainly that side of the draw is more complicated. Uh, on the women's draw, you have Svitolina will be playing Jessica Bagula in the third round. Fun match. Jabber will be playing Maria Buskova. Fun match. Uh, Von Drusova and Alexandrova. So you, you have some names. The women's draw is still fairly packed, and you're looking at names that could be threats, names that can can win, basically is what, what I'm arguing here. You still get uh, you still get Pagula, you still get Arnia Sabalenka is still in the draw, and she's one of the better one of the better players, you know, in the world uh, of anybody. When it comes to, in particular, when it comes to majors, she she can beat anybody. So that's the uh, the U.S. Open update. John Isner, Jack Sock, two American men done with their respective careers. But the action's been fun. I love the night tennis. You have it every night now with college football. It's, it's a great world to be in. Major League Baseball. We talked about the other day that the Los Angeles Angels Wave the white flag. We're done. We're spent. We we went for it, the trade deadline, but it was a massive mistake. So you know what? We are going to we're gonna waive all the players that we traded for and also a couple that we've had the whole season. So when they cut, you know, Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, Hunter Renfro, all these players became available. And teams had the opportunity to claim them on waivers. And that's what happened yesterday. The biggest news coming out of Cleveland, where the Cleveland Guardians claimed Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, and Matt Moore. So three of the five guys all end up with the Guardians. And I thought, okay, the Guardians could use help. Certainly they have one of the worst offenses in Major League Baseball, but they're five games back of their division in the American League Central. Are they going to catch Minnesota? 
And even with these claims, I say no. And my initial thought was, Lucas G. Little, Ronaldo Lopez, and Matt Moore have to be bummed. We're leaving the Angels, who had no chance to make the playoffs. And yes, I guess we're joining a team that's in a playoff race. But the Guardians aren't making the playoffs either. The Guardians aren't going in a World Series run. The Guardians are 5 out, and I feel they made these claims because I mentioned Terry Francona's on the swan song. I think it's his last year managing in the big leagues. So Matt Moore helps your bullpen, sure. Renato Lopez can help your bullpen, sure. Lucas Giolito has been a disaster since leaving the White Sox. He's got a 626 ERA with the Angels. Can he help you? I don't know. Does he have any confidence left? But this is not the teams I expected to put in a claim. Because I didn't think Cleveland's a team that's on the cusp of even if they make the postseason, are they winning a wild card series at home against teams like Texas or the Blue Jays or the Houston Astros? I say no. But Cleveland adds three players to try to compete and ultimately fail. Cincinnati Reds also did some work. They claimed right fielder Hunter Renfro, and they also claimed Harrison Bader, the center fielder from the New York Yankees, who was also waived. See, this makes more sense to me. Cincinnati's in a playoff race. They have a four-game set this weekend against the Chicago Cubs. Cincinnati's not going to win the National League Central, but can they be one of the three wildcard teams? Absolutely. As we sit currently, Cincinnati's a game and a half out of that final wildcard spot behind San Francisco. They are two games back of the Chicago Cubs. So they're right in the mix. They're right there. They went. They have a great series this weekend. Before you know it, they're passing the Cubs, and they're they're only behind the Phillies in the wild card race. You look at you look, uh, ahead. They have Arizona is ahead of them. The the Marlins are only a game and a half back. So there's a race in the National League. But Henry Renfro gives them options in their outfield. He's a power bat. They have Steer out there. They like Fidel. But could he play a corner spot? Could he be a designated hitter? on days that they don't want to have Joey Votto be the DH and Joey Votto's in the field? Absolutely. Harrison Bader, he might be a spot duty guy, but he is good. He could be a pinch runner in certain situations for this team. So the Reds, I think, look at look at it and go, two players that can help us, two players that are practically free, and we're in a situation now in Cincinnati where we got a month. We're trying to make the postseason. We're going for it. We called up uh, Ellie De La Cruz. We activated Joey Votto. We didn't trade him when we could have. We're, 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 we're in it. We're in it, and we got to win these games. We got the Cubs, four games with the Cubs at home. We need to win this series. We need to have success. And that game starts in about 10 minutes, the first of a doubleheader today between the Reds and the Cubs. You got Jordan Wicks going against Graham Ashcraft, and then later on this evening, two starters that have yet to be named. You get a divisional series this late, and you're that close, and you can add two players to augment your team. 
you do it. Makes sense for me in Cleveland. Does not make sense. Uh, makes sense for me in Cincinnati. Does not make sense for me in Cleveland. Oddly enough, two Utah teams cutting it up. The Milwaukee Brewers. Again, talking about the National League Central. We'll stay there. They added Josh Donaldson. This was not a waiver claim. This was they added Josh Donaldson. They signed him to a minor league contract. Till be paid the minimum, and he will report to Milwaukee, and he might start in AAA. It wouldn't surprise me if he gets some games at AAA, kind of a rehab stint, because he was just coming off an injury with New York, and they released him as he was came off that uh, IL. This surprises me because I didn't think he would get a look. He struggled all year. Hasn't been effective. More home runs than singles. He's batting 143. They do have a lot of injuries. Jesse Winker is unavailable for this team. Darren Ruff. Julio uh, Tyron. They open up a series at home against the Philadelphia Phillies. So a big series for Milwaukee, even though they do have a, a cushion in the divisional lead where they lead Chicago by three games and Cincinnati by six. So they have a cushion, but not a huge cushion when it comes to making the playoffs. But, but Josh Donaldson, he gets a minor league deal. And what I think this month is, is if he gets at-bats, if he gets an opportunity, it'll be an opportunity for him to prove that he deserves to be on the postseason roster. That when they have to make that decision at the end of the year, is Josh Donaldson in the mix? Is he going to be a guy that we trust to put on our bench that even if he's not starting, he can be a pinch hitter for this team? So that's it. you got to leave people off the postseason roster. It's not everybody that you have. You only have a certain amount of pitchers, only a certain amount of bats. And I think it's for Josh Donaldson, it's proving to Milwaukee that he's that he deserves to be in that mix. If he doesn't get at bats, he doesn't get hits, continues to struggle, he won't be, and they'll move on without him. So it's a it's a no-risk situation for Milwaukee. They pick up a guy that does have postseason experience, that's been to three ALCSs in his career, who's been in, in the mix, who's been an MVP. And he is a guy that can be a, a bit of a hothead when it when it comes to playing against him. But maybe this will humble him a bit, and he just comes in hoping to prove something with his new team. But Josh Donaldson joins the Milwaukee Brewers. Baseball this weekend. Blue Jays are in Colorado. I'm not going to go back into their week schedule because I've talked about that lots. They got. Colorado for three this weekend. That has to be a sweep. The more interesting thing for me is the Texas Rangers. I've been talking about their blown saves, and it happened again on Wednesday night. They have lost, so they, they've won two this week. So their last 13 games, they've lost nine of them. No, they lost 10 of them, pardon me. 10 of the last 13. And in those 10 losses, seven of them have come from either a blown hold or a blown save. In, in Wednesday in the eighth inning, they're up 5-3. They give up a two-run homer. They get two extra innings. They can't score a run because uh, the Mets pull off a double, a double play. 
The bases are loaded, and Araldis Chapman hits a batter. They win the game on a walk-off hit-by-pitch. So they're, the bullpen in, in Texas is just a flat-out disaster right now. It's like the Blue Jays' base running or the Blue Jays trying to you know, steal bases, which they don't do. Texas has a problem. They have a two-and-a-half game lead on the Jays, but they play Minnesota this weekend. A much tougher opponent. Minnesota, who swept Texas just a weekend ago. Joe Ryan against Max Scherzer tonight. They're going to be telling Scherzer, we traded for it. We need you to give us innings because we don't trust this team in big situations. They can score runs. They scored five against the Mets, but they can't hold a lead. The bullpen is leaking oil. Yankees play the Astros tonight. Justin Verlander on the hill. Rematch of last, last year's American League Central Series. Orioles are in Arizona. So those are some of the interesting series in the American League when it comes to the wild card race. The thing to track in baseball this weekend, really, the series to watch is the Atlanta Braves are in L.A. in Chavez Ravine to play the Dodgers. And it was game one last night, and Ronald Acuna Jr. made history, hitting his 30th home run of the season and becoming the first player ever in the history of baseball, and baseball has been around a minute, to have 30 home runs and 60 steals in one season. He's also batting 340. Leadoff hitter, he's just, he's one of the best players in baseball, and he's the current betting favorite to win the National League MVP. So it was a phenomenal moment. He does it in L.A. Atlanta has hardly won in L.A. the last couple of years. It's really their host of horrors. They have a big lead. They nearly give it up, but they get the win. They have the most wins. They're the best team in baseball. But also in the game, Mookie Betts, who's pretty damn good himself, don't tell the Red Sox fans, he goes out, leadoff hitter, kind of like Acuna, can play second, shortstop, right field, center field. He goes two for four with a walk, and he has two homers. He gets the 38 home runs, which is a new career high for Mookie Betts, more than he ever hit with the Red Sox. He's up to 38 homers, 98 RBIs, and he's had he's hitting 317 on the season. So Mookie Betts is going to hit 40-plus home runs this season. He's going to have 100-plus RBIs. The Dodgers are going to win... They might get close to 100 games. The Braves are certainly going to win 100 games. Freddie Freeman is batting 338 with 25 homers and 89 RBIs, 17 stolen bases, and he scored 111 runs at age 33. And then you also have Matt Olson, who's on the Braves, who gets talked about the least out of the group. He went over five last night, but he's got 43 homers, 112 ribbies, and he scored 103 runs in 133 games. So these two teams have the four leading candidates for National League MVP. But to me, it's a two-horse race between Acuna and Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts has a month. If he can get to 47, 48 home runs and get close to 115, say 120 RBIs, he might win National League MVP even with Acuna making history.
and I value Acuna because I value the stolen base. What he's done this year with the new rules, this is why baseball changed the rules. There's no shift. There's bigger bases. So people are moving on the bases. I realize the Toronto Blue Jays and these teams that play like they're from the 1901 don't do it. But the Braves and Acuna, they don't mind stealing a base every now and then. But you have two leadoff hitters who are the two best players on their respective teams. The teams with the two best records in baseball playing in Los Angeles at Chavez Ravine this weekend. That is star power. And these two teams have better odds to make the World Series than any team in the American League. More than the Orioles, more than the Rays, than any American League West team as it should be. What the Dodgers did in, they lost five games in August. The Dodgers, incredible. I'm curious to see what they can do this weekend. They lose round one. And yes, does this series matter at the end of the day when we come to playoff time because it all resets? No. But I think the Braves not having to go to Chavez Ravine is a big deal. To play four out of seven in the ATL is a big advantage because they do not like going to Los Angeles. They do not like playing there. So if they can stay out of there, they can stay in Atlanta. Acuna Jr., knowing the base is well there. But this is it's late at night, I get it, but it's must-see to see Acuna versus Mookie Betts. Otani is the best player in baseball because he can do both things. And he's going to win the MVP in the American League. But you're talking about the National League, it's Acuna and it's Mookie Betts. And Freddie Freeman's not far behind the Canadian who's just a perfect hitter. He just knows how to find gaps. He he's been having he's been hitting with good average since he came into to baseball. But it's fascinating to me to see these two guys go head to head with one another. Bryce Harper, another pretty good National League player on a really good team in the National League, the Phillies who would scare the hell out of me if I'm Atlanta or the Dodgers, but that's another story for another day. He got a milestone on Wednesday, hit his 300th home run. First active player to hit 300 home runs right now. Have any active player, the only guy to do it. He hit 10 home runs in August. He's recovering from basically Tommy John surgery, but he doesn't pitch, but he had to get it done. But he's, you're starting to see his power come back. He's playing a position more and more often. Trey Turner's getting hot. Bryce Harper's getting hot. Castellanos is playing really well. Their pitching's getting better and better. They were in the World Series last year. The National League is full of killers. The Phillies, the Braves, the Dodgers, I don't want to play any of them. And the, the Phillies are going to be a wild card team. But they're a wild card team last year, and they got in. And they beat the Braves, and they beat the Padres, and they, they ended up losing to Houston. But to me, the National League is the big fight. Because that's why you look around, and if you're a Blue Jays fan, you go, if we can get to the playoffs, we can get to the World Series. Yeah. 
There's no elite team in the American League. There just isn't. Baltimore is really good, but they're flawed. Tampa is without the two best players. The Blue Jays' best player hit, has hit 20 home runs. And Bo Bichette can't stay on the field right now. Blue Jays pitching should be able to get, to get you to the playoffs. Could get you to a World Series if you get in. Absolutely. If you're the Twins, okay, we played in the American League Central. Our division sucks. Could the Twins be a team that is in a wild card series but goes on and has a deep run? Why not? Joe Ryan, pretty good pitcher. Sonny Gray, pretty good pitcher. Kenta Mieta, not bad. You get hot. Carlos Correa finds his uh, form like he had in the postseason with the Astros. Maybe get, maybe going to run. Houston, we didn't have a great year. We're flawed. Seattle, you can make an argument for any of them, but these teams aren't as good as the Phillies, the Braves, or the Dodgers. Not close, in my opinion. But the National League, only one of those three is getting to the World Series, and maybe an outlier team will beat them. I don't see it. If Cincinnati squeaks in, no. If the San Francisco Giants, the faceless team, if they can get in, no. The Cubs, no. So I think it's one of those three teams in the National League and the American League. Who the hell knows? But you got to get in. And that's what they're fighting for right now. But, yeah, Bryce, you think Bryce Harper, Acuna, Freeman, Olsen? All in the same, all in the National League, all playing great. Ellie Dilla Cruz in the National League. Some good damn players over there. Cody Bellinger's having a good season quietly with the Cubs. He's on a one-year contract. He's going to make some money this, uh, this December. Scott Boris will get him a check. Might not be from the Cubs, but he'll get a check from somebody. Because that's what he does best. What else do we got before we close out the show? TJ Hawkinson signed a four-year, $68.5 million extension with the Vikings. That's $17.125 million per year and $42.5 million guaranteed, which are both the highest for a tight end in league history. So TJ Hawkinson resets the tight end market when it comes to money. Really talented guy. He changed that Vikings offense last year. I didn't understand why the Lions traded him in division, but they did. Now they do have a good tight end, a a young guy coming in, Sam Laporta, who will play for them this year. But I like TJ Hawkinson. I don't mind this signing, but they're looking to sign Justin Jefferson before the season starts. They're locking up TJ Hawkinson. They've given money to their offensive line. What are they going to do with Kirk Cousins? He's in the last year of his contract. They don't. They they're saying they're not going to extend him. Could be his last year in Minnesota. They don't have a quarterback of the future. Nick Mullins is the only quarterback on the roster. So you're locking up a lot of guys, but you don't have a quarterback that you got long term. Interesting position there. Patriots. They signed Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham, two guys they cut to their practice squad. So they have two quarterbacks available there, but. They also claim Matt Corral, former third-round pick out of Ole Miss from the Carolina Panthers, who was cut. So Bill Belichick swoops in, takes Matt Corral. He's now on the active roster, so it looks as if he will be the number two quarterback behind Matt Jones. So we have two SEC quarterbacks in New England battling it out 
Heading into this weekend, Chris Jones, Nick Bosa still remain unsigned. Doesn't sound like Chris Jones is going to be signed before week one for the Chiefs, which their their opening game is Thursday. Nick Bosa and the 49ers say they're having discussion. Chris Jones doesn't even sound like there's been communication. So both guys might miss games. They're both huge losses. I think Chris Jones, the bigger loss. But if San Francisco wants to win a Super Bowl, they need Nick Bosa. I do think they get it done. If he has to get the biggest contract for a pass rusher in league history, so be it. He's earned that with his play so far. But we'll track that this weekend. And I guess another thing, Sheldon Keefe got a two-year extension from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So he's got this season and two more after that. Keefe's back. Matthews is back. Marner's back. Tavares is back. Riley's back. Nylander's back. The whole group is back together, but Kyle Dubas is in Pittsburgh making more money trading for Eric Carlson. I don't got a whole lot to say about this. I think Sheldon Keefe's a good coach. Do I agree with the fact that you just run it back every year and expect things to change? I do not, but that's their strategy. See if it plays out for them, Cotton. But I don't think you just let it. I I understand why Sheldon Keefe wanted this extension, but he's won one round in his tenure. So, you know, Leafs fans, you get your coach, I guess. You get your coach back, and you get Austin Matthews signed before training camp. So all smiles in Leafland. It's a lot of stuff, guys. Fun stuff. This weekend, college football, UFC, baseball, U.S. Open under the lights. NFL returns on Thursday. We still have two divisional previews. We will get to them. They are coming your way, so be ready for those. But I'm I'm getting excited. I'm getting I hate that word. I'm getting I'm looking forward to the start of football. It's just so it's the best time of year. So much to watch, so much to consume, so much to talk to you all about on the podcast. So that's that's always fun. More betting segments, more fun stuff on the horizon. So looking forward to that. Enjoy the Labor Day long weekend. Enjoy the nice weather while it's here, and enjoy the football. We'll talk to you Monday. This is to the point.